This podcast is brought to you by The Missing Link in partnership with VMware. Hello and welcome to another podcast presented by The Missing Link. My name is Matt Summerall and I'm your host for this special three-part podcast series, Your Essential Guide to the Cloud. So what is the cloud? The cloud really is is your stuff running on someone else's stuff. Somewhere in the world, you know, it's not in the sky, not floating around in the air. Somewhere in the world, there is a server with your stuff running on it. And why are so many businesses moving to the cloud? You know, 12 years ago, you couldn't get this kind of enterprise-grade platform and equipment for a small to medium business. It was just too expensive. Joining us for your essential guide to the cloud is Alana Berman-Reynard. Alana is head of solutions in the cloud and IT division of The Missing Link. And with a technical background of engineering and solution architecture, Alana is responsible for an extensive portfolio of cloud and IT products and services. Welcome to you, Alana. Thank you. Also with us today is Ashley Stedman, who has been with The Missing Link for over 11 years. Ashley is a relationship management specialist working with businesses to design and implement technology solutions and services. G'day, Ash. G'day, Matt. Okay, I want to bring this back to basics for all those that don't know too much about the cloud. And we'll start with you, Ashley. Tell us about the public cloud. What is it? The public cloud, you're probably going to think about big providers. You talk about Microsoft, you talk about Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud. That's what most people think when they think public cloud. And that's kind of the the right path. So with public cloud, typically you are accessing over the internet. It's probably a web-based portal where you can put your credit card in. It's multi-tenanted to potentially thousands of different customers. And what am I doing on there? What am I putting there? You're putting anything you want. You can have it just storing files and folders. You know, a lot of people think of cloud as, you know, just storage in the sky where they put their their photos yeah it's like the google drive you know you just you load up your files and you put in there and that's it but it's it's more than that isn't it it is yeah from a business perspective 100 percent. so from a a consumer perspective that's kind of what we think when we see yeah public cloud is oh that's my stuff that i put up and it's also used quite heavily for application development is a very common use case for public cloud okay so developing software apps and things like that exactly i think the main distinction between public and private and there's loads of different definitions that lots of people might argue about, but the at the end of the day, it's essentially you know basically big public cloud provider accessed over the internet yep. versus smaller private provider, usually provided over a private network connection. All right, well, let's talk about the private cloud then. So what is the difference with that? So you're not on the big tech giant site, you've got your own private cloud, you're putting the same things on there, but... It's got, what, better security or? Look, there's a number of different ways to look at it. I think the, the main thing that you're looking at with a, with a private cloud provider is that it is, it is more focused than a, a public cloud. You've got less customers on it. It's uh, usually more bespoke, so you can build you know, a, a private cloud solution with your own separate infrastructure. Yeah, okay, so it's or a tailored be, solution. Yeah, correct. Or, or it, it can be multi-tenanted, but usually to less of a degree. And usually from a provider, that's going to provide you a much more personal level of support. Now, Alana, I'm going to ask you this one. What's Mm -hmm. a hybrid cloud? A hybrid cloud is, uh, I guess, more of a strategy than it is a thing. So the idea of hybrid cloud is that you have a combination of public, of private cloud, of on-premises. So you have your environment spread across 
different clouds. And okay. I guess the use case for that is that you have different things that have different requirements. So if you have something that's very security conscious, you might put that in a private cloud. Something that's about you know application development, you do that in the public cloud. And something that maybe is just not suited to the cloud you have on-premises. I think a lot of businesses out there actually already have a hybrid cloud strategy. You know, we've got a lot of customers that use their own servers. They might have one sitting in the corner of their office or a a data center somewhere, but they're also using Office 365 for their email. They might be using some sort of software as a service for their business applications. So a lot of people are already using a hybrid cloud strategy rather than having all of your eggs in one basket leveraging multiple things you know we, we the way we talk about it at the missing link is that we you put the right workload in the right place yeah so if it makes sense to put it in public cloud put it there yeah we'll use email as as an example yeah and again we've we've all kind of had a cloud email address for probably decades you know starting with hotmail or aol and and things like that back in the day businesses are kind of using that today with office 365 most customers that we work with are using Office 365 for their email, their calendars, Word, PowerPoint, all those kinds of things. That's a cloud service. And that is a perfect example of a great use case for public cloud. But if you had you know, very sensitive documents, you know, healthcare-related things, maybe payment information, those kinds of things, you probably don't want to put that in a public cloud. You probably want to put those in a private cloud. You look at Office 365 and you go, okay, great, let's put our email there because that makes sense. For some of these more sensitive documents or if we've got you know a particular application that has to run on our own server due to you know performance requirements or security compliance or yeah sometimes yep. it's just old applications you know businesses that have been running applications for a long time and it you know very expensive to change and rip and replace leaving them where they are makes more sense as well what do governments use governments only probably in the last couple of years have been allowed or like have a directive to be able to use public cloud but they have to use specific government approved clouds so for instance aws and azure have data centers in canberra that have a certain security clearance and they're the ones they can use same goes for private cloud they've got to be in certain types of data centers with like a number of security controls in place for it to be suitable for government let's move on to infrastructure as a service and and also PaaS. Let's start with IaaS. What is it? So simply, it's a cloud service where you can rent or consume server, compute and storage in the cloud. It's on a monthly basis. Think of it like a utility. So like electricity, you pay for what you used at the end of the month. Let's jump into an example then. So let's say I'm a mid-sized law firm. I've got 200 staff, limited internal IT team, which is not really focused on IT infrastructure, more focused on user experience, looking to grow, perhaps by acquiring other smaller legal firms. How would infrastructure as a service benefit my law firm? So I guess the first thing would be that the IT infrastructure, so the the data center, the servers, all the equipment that goes along with that, the internal IT team wouldn't have to manage or worry about anymore. So they can focus on the end users and that experience for them. They also don't have to worry that every four to five years, you've then got to go through a whole project to replace all that hardware as it gets too old. From a financial perspective, it changes the expenditure from a capital expense 
which is, you know, that upfront large charge that they might be putting out to buy new hardware every four to five years and moves it to an operational expenditure OPEX model. So that's that pay per month based on what you used. Also, for um, a law firm, they tend to have legacy applications. So they're very large, like practice uh, pieces of software, which is how they run their business. So things like practice management systems and and document management systems, especially thousands and millions of documents. I could imagine, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they uh, are typically something that stops a law firm from, you know, embracing remote working, just the way those applications work doesn't kind of align to that. So using the cloud would enable that with those applications. So you could have people working from wherever, which is the normal thing these days, being able to do their job and access all the data and files that they need. Yeah, so you might Um, have offices in Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane and everyone all around the country can jump onto the the cloud. cloud, Yeah, yeah, or from home as well, or from, you know, from the court. So they could do it while they're out. You know, with the cloud and using infrastructure service, you pay for what you need. So you can grow into if you need to expand, you just pay for that as you need it. Whereas before, when you have to buy hardware, you've kind of got to be thinking, where am I going to be in the next four to five years and buy all that like servers that fit where you might be in four to five years time. And in the first few years, it's just going to sit there empty. So this allows you to kind of just consume what you need at that time. You could summarize it by saying that compared to buying on-premise infrastructure for yourselves, you can you can grow with it when yep. you get infrastructure as a service rather than having to grow into it. Yeah. So if you pick up a big case and you need to hire another 10 lawyers, you can suddenly go to the service provider and say, look, we need to up our resources. Our resources. Service. Yeah. We need more power. We need more storage. We need more everything straight away. Bang. Yeah. Or yeah. not even have to call them. Just log on to a portal and add it. And you just pay for it at the end of the month. Something we've seen quite a lot of in, especially with mid-sized law firms, is that to expand their business and grow their business, they're actually often acquiring smaller law firms. And so we've seen lots of examples where an infrastructure as a service customer can actually do that really simply and easily because when they buy a new law firm or if they bring on new staff, as you suggested, they actually can just go, okay, great, we need to add five more servers to cater for these these additional staff members and the workloads they need to run on there. And that works really well from a, a budgeting perspective. You can actually look at your per user cost for your IT infrastructure. And another thing I'll just add, like at the moment, there's a global chip shortage that's affecting, you know, new cars, it's affecting, you know, servers when you buy them. So if you're, mm. you have an environment on-premise and you acquire a law firm and you suddenly need more servers, you would be looking at, in some cases, six to 12 months to get get that hardware. Yeah. So due to, you know, global supply chain problems, that can make it very hard to quickly scale your environment, which is where the cloud is just instant. That's an excellent point. Now, let's move on to platform as a service, PaaS. Let's talk about PaaS. So we've got IaaS, now we've got PaaS. What's the difference here? So PaaS is platform as a service. So it's essentially, you know, it's, it's similar to infrastructure as a service, but it kind of moves one layer up in terms of what you're, what you're paying for. So it's a cloud computing model where the service provider delivers a platform, as the name suggests. It's typically used for applications or software. Platform as a service adds an additional software layer to infrastructure as a service. So you're not paying for a server 
to run your own stuff on. A couple of good examples of platform as a service might be backup, managed databases, container services, or disaster recovery as a service. I've seen it compared to like, I guess an analogy would be pizza. So platform as a service would be that the service provider gives you the oven, the kitchen, and the pizza base, and you come in and put your toppings on and then cook it and eat it. So it's it's giving you a platform to put your data and your services on top of. And I also read that it provides a framework for developers to build their apps and their software. It really works well for them. Is that right? Yeah, correct. So you've got platforms where you can build web applications or you could put a managed database for your application. So there's things like that that they can just build their apps on top of and not have to manage you know, a whole database server, for example. Yeah, they can cut coding time and things like that, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so as an example for PaaS, uh, we've got an aged care provider with multiple locations across Australia, a large amount of data that needs to be protected. So securing data is absolutely key for this business, especially with the health records. So how does PaaS really work for them? So I think the way to think about it with platform as a service for this customer example would be that you're paying for an outcome rather than paying for a server to run things on essentially. So for these guys, if you were looking at protecting their data, you want to look at backing that up and you probably want to look at having a disaster recovery solution in place in the event that you lose your primary data center and you need to fail over and keep your keep your systems running, especially important in healthcare when you might have you know key records for patients or people in aged care homes where they need to access their medical records or their medication you know schedules that kind of thing it's really important those systems are alive and up and running so with platform as a service when it comes to backup and disaster recovery you could essentially have without buying any hardware without buying any software have access to a pre-built backup solution so whether it's your it team or it's the service provider like us they can go in they can configure monitor, run offsite backup jobs, that will ensure their data is protected, but they don't have to build the platform to put it on. Similarly to a disaster recovery platform, you can essentially start immediately replicating your data, your server workloads across to a cloud provider, you know, again, either in a self-service or a managed fashion. And that platform is already set up, it's ready to go, and all you're doing is you know, putting your, your data into it. So the key thing with platform as a service is it's going to reduce your implementation time because the service is just ready ready to consume. It's there. You just got to sign up for it. And also your ongoing management. You don't have to worry about the underlying servers, the patching of them to keep them secure. That's all taken care of by the cloud provider. Okay. Thanks, Alana and Ashley. Absolutely fantastic introduction to the cloud and all the different clouds that are available and to IaaS and PaaS. You are listening to our three-part series on your essential guide to the cloud. And coming up in episode two, we look at some of the big cloud service providers. What are some of the pitfalls you can avoid? And is big always better? Hyperscalers do have a huge range of products, the very much of that pay only for what you need. But along with, you know, I guess the size of these businesses, there are some catches and downsides to that that you need to look out for. More on that coming up in episode two of your essential guide to the cloud. And if you'd like to find out more information from this series, you can access various links and resources in the episode description box located right here on your podcast player. 
Or you can contact The Missing Link via their website, themissinglink.com.au. You can also subscribe and hear more podcasts from The Missing Link wherever you enjoy your podcasts. This podcast was recorded on the traditional country of the Camaragal people of the Garangai tribe of the Aora Nation. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past, present and emerging.